Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Curzon Film Podcast. This week, sex, drugs, violence, corruption, dead sheep and lengthy sessions of sandwich eating are on our minds as we take a look at Paolo Sorrentino's Berlusconi biopic Loro as well as hearing from modern Italian history writer and professor John Foote. And S. Craig Zala drags us into the murky criminal underworld in Dragged Across Concrete. I'm Sam Howlett, and joining me in the studio this week, because they're too damn dangerous to be out on the streets, <laughs> Kelly Powell. Hello. Stephen Ryder. Hello. And making his pod debut, Lou Thomas. Welcome. Good morning. So, Lou, you work a full-time day job for the BFI, but in your spare time, after dark, you're a freelance film critic for publications such as Little White Lies, The Skinny, Den of Geek. Missed any out? Sight and Sound. Sight and Sound. Brilliant. Welcome. Oh, nice one. Cheers. Good to be here. So, before we hit the concrete, we turn our attention to Lauro. Master filmmaker Paolo Sorrentino, he of Youth and the Great Beauty, teams up once again with longtime collaborator Tony Savillo to reveal the scandalous and until now unseen private life of Italy's most infamous politician, Silvio Berlusconi. Packed with sensational, satirical stings, biopics don't come more unauthorised than this. Before we get into the film, we're going to hear now from the professor of modern Italian history, John Foote, who has written numerous books on Italian history and culture and several articles about Berlusconi, which you can check out on sites such as The Guardian. We spoke about the legacy of Berlusconi, what he meant for Italy and how that's translated to film in Loro. Okay, and we're delighted to welcome to the Curzon podcast, John Foote, Professor of Modern Italian History at the University of Bristol. Thank you for being here. Delighted to be here. Thank you. So you're obviously here to talk about uh, Berlusconi and Loro. Can you tell us a bit about your history about uh, writing about Berlusconi? So I went to Italy in the late 1980s to do my PhD. And um, at that time, Berlusconi was just a businessman and president of Milan football team, Mm -hmm. but still a very big public personality. And I sort of lived through his incredible rise to power in the 1990s and then I at the same time kind of was commentating on him for media but also thinking about where he came from and why he was what kind of figure he was so I was both living in Milan which is the center of of Milan of Berlusconi's power and also kind of writing about it at the same time so it's interesting kind of combination of things so Silvio Berlusconi is um, first and foremost uh, a businessman he made a lot of money from housing 
and that's dealt with a bit in the film. And then he, and he's, he's kind of a, quite a brilliant businessman. He, he made money from housing, and then he went into TV. He was the first really big TV entrepreneur in Italy, private TV, which hadn't really existed. And he, he brilliantly picked up on the kind of consumerist boom in Italy. And so he becomes a, a big TV entrepreneur, advertising, publishing, and also sport. Football is crucial to his... Um, his power. So he's a big businessman, very rich, very powerful, not in politics. And in 1994, when everything collapses in Italy mm-hmm. under a huge corruption scandal, he decides to go into politics and incredibly wins an election two weeks after going into politics. I mean, right. it's one of the great, extraordinary political stories in in contemporary world and it really sets the scene for people like Trump, Farage and a whole lot of other people. He, he writes the playbook for Trump. I mean Trump actually copies quite a lot of things that Berlusconi does from the sort of you know I can say one thing one day and one thing the next. Berlusconi did that all the time. The personalization of politics, the sexualization of politics, the fact you don't need a party. He didn't really have a party, he just had himself. And um, a business, a businessman going into politics, you know, st- not, I'm not a politician, I'm a businessman, I made, I'm, I'm rags to riches. Yeah. This is Berlusconi, you know, and yeah. it's true in some cases, although there are lots of dark sides. Sure. And from 94 till, right until 2008, he's, he's in power for quite a lot of that time. Uh, Prime Minister, head of a big company, owner of three TV stations, owner of a football team, I mean, it's a He's a, an incredibly powerful political figure and economic figure in a major mm. industrial country. Okay. And what's the kind of thought about Berlusconi now, like particularly in Italy? How is he kind of remembered? What's the kind of the legacy of the Berlusconi era? I think that's a really difficult question because right. um, in some ways it's still going on. I mean, okay. he's still in politics. Yeah. He stood, despite him being whatever he is, 83, he stood in the last election, didn't right. do that well, but still kind of went through the motions. So it's not, the era is over. Mm. I mean, he he really presided over 20 years of Italian politics, um, like a sort of king or a monarch. Mm. Um, that's over, but he stood around. How is he remembered? I think to some, in some ways with quite a lot of affection, I think one of the things the film does very well um, which is interesting, which is not usually done, is that it makes him, it shows how he has actually quite funny. Yeah. And quite, probably quite fun to spend an evening with in some ways. It's mm. a bit of a difficult thing to say. But I think it, that is an interesting take. He's not antipatico, he's simpatico. Mm. And I think people kind of, even on the left, kind of touch into that. Okay. The hatred of the 90s and 2000s, I think, is fading. And he's a kind of slightly sad old old man now who's still going through the motions and still has the young girlfriend and still yeah. has I don't think he can really have the parties anymore but we right. don't know that about that <laughs> <laughs> okay so. but I think the important thing is that he needs to be taken very seriously right. I think in Britain is often when people used to ring me up they always used to say uh, he said something stupid again he said he's not having sex for a month and I said well I think we really need to take this figure very seriously because he's doing something new with politics well this is kind of the argument about Trump as well isn't it like people sort of write him off as a cartoonish joke character but then they don't really think about the impact of what he's saying and what he's doing yeah and then Berlusconi like Trump had an enormous base mm. I mean he won election after election uh, he reigned for longer than any other prime minister post-war Italy mm-hmm. 
broke all records. So he's an extraordinary political laboratory. He, he kind of experimented with politics mm. and he changed everything because now everybody wants to be a Berlusconi. Okay, even if they're on the left, they they can't go back to the old ways of doing politics anymore. Mm. I think the one the one other film I would mention is the Cayman by Moretti, mm -hmm. where he is portrayed and it is about Berlusconi. Right. So there is that's an interesting, a much more sort of political take, I'd say. Sorrentino's profile is very mixed. I think um, I think he's trying to do lots of different things mm. with Berlusconi. He's trying to get up close to him. Uh, and kind of get deep into his marriage mm. with Veronica Lario, yeah. which is breaking up in the in the film. Really, it's kind of falling apart. So he's kind of get a, trying to get us really kind of right up, you know, inside Berlusconi, beyond the myth, into his kind of mm. walking around in his house, his dressing gown, his yeah. kind of. And I think that's an interesting thing to do to try and try and get really, you know right up to Berlusconi. So he's trying to do that. But he's also trying to do some kind of political stuff as well. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure that those two things necessarily go together. Sevilla, as ever, is amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, the voice is yeah. uncanny. It's incredible. It's more Berlusconi than Berlusconi. <laughs> and that Milanese accent and mm. that way of talking. And so Sevilla is it's worth seeing the film just of Sevilla for yeah. me. Uh, and he's always good. What he's an incredible actor, probably a bit underrated in mm. outside of Italy. But um, I think the other thing he's trying to do is is kind of try and understand this this loneliness of this man mm. who is so powerful. So many people throw themselves at him, and yet he's kind of in the end on his own. Mm. And I think that's interesting as well. So this is for me anyway. This seems like quite an unusual biopic in that we don't see the subject of the biopic for a good 45 minutes maybe even an hour um because before that we have a, these different characters who are talking about Berlusconi and are trying to get to him through all these different uh, means possible can you talk about those characters because most of them are fictional but based on real people can you talk a bit about this kind of you know this these sort of um this network of people that are trying to get to him I think one of the things about Berlusconi, and some historians have talked about that, is he had a kind of court. Mm. He was like a medieval king. Right. And people, you know, he presided over this court, and people were always trying to get into his court because he could ha hand out favours. There weren't just political favours. There were also favours about being on TV, mm. a part in a terrible play or on a TV show. He had all this power, which was economic and political. Uh, incredible amount of power. So the film, I think, does something very interesting, which is tries to get to Berlusconi through this kind of entourage yeah. who haven't quite got there yet, through a kind of pimp figure who says, who thinks he'll get to Berlusconi by providing him with lots of beautiful young girls, which is kind of correct in this case. Um, and I think that's a, that's a very interesting idea. I'm not sure it entirely works in the film, but it is an interesting idea. The person it's based on, I think, is called a guy called Tarantini, who was... Um, kind of, and we don't want to get sued here, was involved in Berlusconi's entourage. Right. So it kind of tries to get to Berlusconi from the people who are around him. And I think that's a good tactic to try. And then it kind of presents you with Berlusconi in a very weird way, which I won't give away, as a, you know, in his Sardinian villa, yeah. having lost the election and thinking, how am I going to get back to power? We're in 2006, it's quite yeah. clearly... And he's lost the election by 25,000 votes. Nothing. Mm. And he's thinking, what am I going to do to get back into power? Yeah, and I think what's so interesting about the film is that it really doesn't go into the politics that much. This is very much a human story. Um, 
which for a figure almost fully known for their political life is really interesting, really strange. It's intimate and the... I think the scenes with Veronica are interesting because they there's a certain tenderness to that yeah. relationship. They're tired of each other. You know, they've been together a long time. She's tired of his affairs. But she's actually, I think that's an extraordinary performance as well. I it think is, yeah. Elena Sofia Ricci has won a few awards in Italy for that. I think it's a very powerful performance of this, you know, this very difficult figure of Berlusconi's wife mm. who's meant to basically say nothing. Yeah. And is meant to just accompany him to things that he doesn't really want to there anyway. But he has to have a wife because yes. he's, you know, he's Italian. He is an Italian politician, <laughs> even if he's got thousands of girlfriends, which he ex- exhibits around the place. I think that's, and you know, that's the moment when she speaks out and it yeah. actually uses directly. She wrote, started writing letters to the papers, the papers who hated Berlusconi, interestingly. <laughs> and the, the, the speeches she makes in the film are directly quoted from... I recognise the words, oh, okay, and um, and that's quite powerful. But I think it's quite intimately done, and I think that's that's that could have been developed further. Um, this um, this this kind of marriage, which no one really knows about from the mm. outside, uh, and he's kind of got tried to get deep into that um, while everything else is going on with you know um, the parties and, yeah. and the drugs and all that kind of stuff. Well, for such a long film there are a few key sequences that really stick out to me and this this sort of argument between them is one of them and there's a line in it where he says men are limited beings slaves to infantile temptations they do not see the future they later regret i think that's kind of sums up the thesis of the film in a way and i think is really telling to kind of berlusconi's legacy as well yes um i think he got he thought he was untouchable, you mm. know. I mean, he had so many court cases and, and got cleared time and time again. I mean, he, he's, a, he's broken all records for court cases, but he's only been com- convicted once mm. for tax evasion, not for any of the other things. Although, obviously, with Berlusconi, it's still ongoing. Yeah. I mean, you know, writing a book with Berlusconi is a nightmare because <laughs> in the, I, it's, it's impo- nobody understands the, the court cases. I mean, right. it's just already the Italian legal system is is ridiculous but um it's there are still certain cases ongoing in this sequence yes and i think there's another key moment in the film where we see i think sorrentino successfully as he did in il divo kind of gets under the skin of Mm -hmm. of somebody that no one really knows which is when berlusconi goes back to being the salesman of the Mm -hmm. past and kind of rings up this random woman and tries to sell her house and i think that is absolutely brilliant that scene and it really that's the moment i think we try and we understand that Berlusconi is really a salesman and yeah. he always was and he was selling houses but then he was selling himself and he him selling himself was incredibly successful uh well, i've got one more question then so the tagline for the film is biopics don't come more unauthorized than this what do you think Berlusconi would make of the film what would he how would he react to this version of himself I think he would quite like this version of himself. It's not it's not unfair to him. It's not um a cartoonish mm. portrayal. It's it kind of captures some of that comedian aspect that he actually would quite like. He would probably quite like to be a comedian or a singer, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I think that whole thing about the entertainer, you mm. know. I mean even if people who hated him and I was there in the 90s and I was surrounded by people who hated him and I quite hated him, to be honest, um, were just 
incredibly attracted to mm. he he was the center of attention and he was brilliant at that and that's again trump does that yeah. as well right what's trump tweeted today what's berlusconi said today mm. it's genius right it doesn't matter what it is yeah and i think that he would quite like that i think it does get under his skin it you know it's not perfect there's lots of issues with it but i think it it if you're interested in a portrayal of of this kind of new kind of politician mm. and a particularly interesting one. I think it, 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 would, it would be an interesting film to see for sure. Brilliant. John Foote, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay then, so this is uh, Sorrentino's first film since Youth, uh, which was quite a weirdly big hit. Uh, and, you know, his past works include The Great Beauty, which won uh, the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film, this must be the place. That really strange film where Sean Penn plays an aging yeah, rocker. I've forgotten all about that movie. Uh, the consequences of love, uh, Il Devo. Uh, a lot of these are available on Cousin Home Cinema as well. We have a Best of Paolo Sorrentino collection, which you can check out right now to remind yourself of the man's great career. Um, so, Laura, then, guys, initial thoughts of Laura. So, this film was obviously in Italy. It was two parts, so it's two separate films and with the director's approval it's been stitched together shortened down to one epic look at Silvia Berlusconi Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs learn more at UH1.com Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Initial thoughts. Well, I guess the the, the I, I have no idea how the two films were split. Sure. Um, practically, but I mean, there's definitely a kind of switch in the middle of the movie. The, the first part of the movie is about this young man who kind of goes moves from. I think it's uh, remind me of where he is. He's south south Italy. Who, who, Sardinia. Yeah. So it's a young man who moves from uh, southern Italy to Rome in search of like political kind of greatness, or at least social greatness uh, and uses women uh, prostitutes or kind of uh, escorts to to work his way up the ladder culturally and politically and uh, it's kind of fascinating that uh, they refer to Lauro uh, sorry they refer to um, Berlusconi throughout the film as, as him 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 uh, him him which is you know uh, him, him. and the film Lauro itself translates to them so the first half of this film is definitely about the people who are like caught in this whirlpool of, of kind of corruption and 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 nonsense that Berlusconi's kind of political as a political figurehead is created in this country and they're it's about a, a young man trying to get to him basically so he can kind of improve his cultural currency um, which is a really I think a really fascinating way to start the film yeah it kind of sets him up for this uh, he's he's this kind of um, character that is mysterious you know you kind of people are trying to get to him people are trying to you know enter his world and so do we as as a viewer want mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. you know and it also looks beautiful i mean i was gonna i was gonna give a shout out to luca bigazzi who's worked on quite a few of um, sorrentino's films because sorrentino is someone who's known for kind of like his very um technically polished films they're extremely stylish mm -hmm. extremely visually um i don't want to say inventive but visually um polished like mm. 
mm. you can't really take your eyes off them in a way. Which is interesting, really, because when you look at what the actual content of the film is, it's more like Sorrentino's jump from like the great beauty to the great ugly, really, <laughs> it? because that's what it's all about. It's about this dirty, corrupt individual that, you know, Berlusconi, you almost say it as a, as a laugh. It's like it's like a byword for corruption. Yeah, exactly. And let's talk about that style then. So how does the style feed into the great ugly of this film? Because I think, you know, films to compare this to, for me anyway, were Vice, Death of Stalin, The Wolf of Wall Street, these kind of films that are overindulgent to represent overindulgence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's you don't want to kind of second guess a director, but it does seem as though Sorrentino is is it's it's an aggressively stylish film to the point where what you're seeing on screen is so uh some of it is so gross um <laughs> and, yeah and excessive but you can't help but kind of admire it and not just the filmmaking but admire the like the physicality of what is happening on the screen and it's just all very hedonistic it's all so easy to watch like you know parties are fun to watch um yeah. You know, and but there's a point in this film where it's a two and a it's two and a half hour long film where the parties are not fun to watch anymore. Like they're starting to get ugly. <laughs> it and like disturbing. delves down yeah. into the depths of hell, um, <laughs> and you <laughs> like realise that for the first portion of the film, you were kind yeah. of culpable in in that kind of um, the idea that that parties are kind of virtuous and fun and exciting. Yeah, it goes from this kind of seduction. In the end, it's just like a really bad date that won't end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's very true. It's very true. And you feel terrible by the end of the film for kind of, yeah, for allowing yourself to get caught up in it. So what were the standout scenes for you guys? What were the moments that have really stayed in your mind? Because for a two and a half hour film, you know, you can't, they're not all winners. But what yeah. are the ones that have really kept you up? So for me, it was definitely um, uh, the scene where Berlusconi sort of, uh, goes back to his roots and tries to sell a poor old lady an apartment that isn't even built yet. That's a great scene. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good scene. Um, He's just on the phone, right? Yeah, yeah, on the phone, yeah. yeah. And you kind of have a glimpse into this man who has created this persona, you know, he's super charismatic and he's got the gift of the gab and he, mm. it's all sleight of hand, you know, he like, it's misdirection and, and he's he's selling a dream, which he, you know, sort of goes off of in his political career as well. You know, he sort of makes all these grandiose promises that he later can't keep. But it's, yeah, when he's trying to go back to that, you know, and find his way back to you know, his his heyday. Mm. That was a really good scene for me. It's a really key scene, I think, yeah. as well, because it contains so many... It kind of opens up this idea that this character, the reason he's so deplorable is because he knows exactly what he's doing. Like, he is completely kind of amoral. And he says, I think a really key line in the film is when he says, uh, the truth is men are limited beings. They are slaves to infantile temptations. They do not see the future, which they later regret. Like, if he knows that, then why has he made such a mess of Italy? Like, you know, he's, he's so aware of it, yet he doesn't care about his selfishness because yeah. to him it feels so inherent. Um, and, you know, he's he, the sad thing is he's right about a lot of those things that he says. Um, yeah. And it's uh, it, the fact that he is aware of it doesn't necessarily excuse him from it. You yeah. Know? yeah. It's not a particularly great scene, guys, but can we talk about the sheep? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, sheep, the sheep. I mean, Kelly, yeah. Kelly you, you, yeah. you mentioned this. Yeah. I mean, what? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It confused me. I like. I forgot that it it happened. It's the opening of the film. Yeah, yeah. it's the opening, and I totally forgot about it. until I was thinking about, and I was like, "Whoa, that that happened." So <laughs> Can context, we talk about the that? opening scene of the film: a sheep walks into uh, Berlusconi's 
Sardinia mansion and gets killed by the aircon. <laughs> that is a strange scene. And for me, this is where the film... Because I've, I've heard people discuss that scene as well online and there's a lot of talk about how the sheep kind of represents Italy, mm. kind of like lambs being led to the slaughter, but like slowly. But like enticed not, by yeah. this, this mansion. Of, yeah, you know. like slowly being led and dying of the cold. Well, it's not a bad But But for me, that's like where... I think Laura has a, quite a clear thesis, which is which is kind of summed up in the line that I that I mentioned that Berlusconi says, and um, and I think that the, one of the problems with the film is that like it revels in that thesis a little bit too much. Like once we know it, once we get it, we kind of just have to let ourselves in go like into yeah, the kind yeah. of party scene and just enjoy it, and that can be a bit frustrating. But um, you know, it's a good job that the movie is is extremely. I mean, the the ecstasy, the pills flying down from the sky uh that at the party that scene is kind of like uh it typifies sorrentino and it's it's a lot of fun it goes on for ages too yeah it's it does a lot of fun yeah uh yeah. which is cool very like well what we think of now is like adam mckayish scene where you've got yeah a, a, a non-character coming in to explain stuff to the audience yeah no I agree. this kind of over-edited sequence and yeah. yeah no it's a really good a really good component. yeah there does, does definitely seem to be that kind of movement at the moment these big powerful figures we're going to show the opulence and the degradation of society through this ostentatious wealth yeah you know like you say actually that link i didn't really think about that before but the link between say this and vice Mm. you know it's clearly like these are the people that are causing all our problems now these are the people that have slowly got more powerful you know whether you want to look at a trump type figure or or a berlusconi type figure it's definitely one of the hot sort of cinematic sort of tropes i think at the moment yeah but Mm. for some reason i think for me lauro did work a lot better than vice um because I think that it it doesn't really have a, a political stance. I want to say. Mm. I, 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 I mean, it obviously, yeah, it's obviously well, kind of crit- critical of of yeah. Berlusconi. Um, it's not by any means saying like, oh, give him a chance. But I think it's far more interested in a man in that kind of position of power yeah. mm. well, than it is in sort of, you know. Yeah, wrap this up by talking about Berlusconi and his wife Veronica Lero, played by uh, Elena Sofia Ricci, uh, which I think is the sort of the core of the film really you have all these stuff we've been talking about these really opulent parties and the drug scenes and the sex scenes but i think ultimately these are the scenes that have stayed with me the scenes between this couple what did you think about those i mean i i uh likened it very much to um the the fight between carmella and tony soprano at the end of season four of the Sopranos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the same themes it's the idea that there's a man there who is kind of like he sleeps around he, he has a lot of power that he yeah. abuses he's violent he's well I guess Berlusconi isn't violent, but he's kind of aggressive in a lot of yeah. his kind of uh, pursuits. He's aggressive in yeah. that fight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but but at the same time, you've got this woman who has like benefited from all of that. Mm. Yeah. Who is like there criticizing and yelling at him. Oh, and she's complicit. Like, yeah, yeah, she's no doubt. That's his yeah. comeback yeah. every time is, well, why do you, you stay You've with gained me? from this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he's yeah. right in a way. Like, And it, that's what makes it such a complex, interesting scene. But it does yeah. seem lifted straight from the Sopranos. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the one thing I would that completely agree, the one thing I would say is that whereas the Sopranos, you'd, you, you quite want to go back to these characters and you can re-watch the Sopranos. That's, you know, anything between... Um, the, you know, uh, Tony and Helena, um, you can watch those many times. Whereas Loro is is an interesting film, but I'm not necessarily sure that it, it, will, it will stand up to repeated viewings. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like the party that, you, like you said earlier, it's the party you want to forget. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You just want to go home and get into bed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and on that note then, uh, while we give Loro the all-go, do we think then Dragged Across Concrete was a drag or congrate? 
Wow. Wow, you're really stretching there, man. That was a reach. Um... Yeah, well, drink, drink, well, should, on, we, Kels, should we should we it. tell the people yeah. what it was, Kelly, what it was yeah. about? Uh, what <laughs> is <laughs> after that abrupt transition? Yeah, exactly. Nice. Uh, can you want to tell us what is Dragged Across Concrete? <laughs> what is it about? Who's right. It so this is a sort of old school feeling, hard boiled crime drama. Yes. That follows uh, two old school cops played by Mel Gibson <laughs> and Vince Vaughn, um, who are suspended without pay after. Um, using excessive force on mm-hmm. on uh, on a suspect, um, yeah. So out of job and out of the money, they decide to plan a robbery of a wealthy criminal. Um, but their heist quickly turns complicated, and things go further south for the pair. Okay, uh, so this is uh, S. Craig Zahler's third film. Um, so after Bone Tomahawk and Brawling Cell Block '99, uh, I'm a huge fan of both of those films. Where do we stand on Zahler's work up to here? Love a bit of Zala. Gotta be said, I think he's doing stuff with a genre that you could argue is, if not the best in American cinema, it's certainly near the top. Right. Uh, With Bone Tomahawk, he obviously smashed together a a Western and a horror film, and really, it's one of those films you can't forget, Bone Tomahawk. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Brawling Cell Block 99, again, is is a reinvigoration of the, the prison drama. And then this, well, this is something else entirely. This is like a stretched out, funky heist film that's, you know, nearly three hours long, mm. takes its time. But it even t- it's got so much going on. But it even, aside from the great dialogue and whatever, and we can talk about it being post-Tarantino, which a lot of people, will that'll be the obvious thing. But for me, it's more like a throwback to like some of the great kind of French... Uh, crime films, mm-hmm. you know, from the sort of sixties or, or whatever, in that it's really beautiful and it kind of you think about it a lot afterwards as well, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a really exciting film. Um, yeah, Zala's a really interesting filmmaker who c- carries on kind of doing whatever he wants, uh, and I think everyone in the kind of film world at the moment's definitely got their eye on him thinking like, who is this guy and what are his intentions? Yeah. <laughs> as and a how filmmaker. did he get so much money yeah. with so and much where, freedom? Where has he come from? Like from, a, he was a yeah. musician. Yeah. Think, he's right? done all sorts. He's yeah. written novels and he's yeah, written scripts plenty, yeah. and he's, yeah. he, he feels like a guy who's just like, oh, I'll take that on. I'll take that on. Yeah. I'll take that on. And like, he's, he's, um, He's like a lot of filmmakers who are trusted by any any financiers or whatever. Even stuff like Bone Tomahawk, he's shot in something ridiculous like 21 Days or something. Mm. And when you see it, it's like an extremely accomplished film. It's such for, an a, ac- for a first film. This is the thing about know. him, right? And then, like, that, and, and he's, and in, in, you know, each time it's like he's getting more and more ambitious and he'll do more and more. It's like, who knows what, what he'll get up to next. Yeah. You know? Well, he's getting ambitious as a filmmaker, but he's also getting very cocky in his, <laughs> in his kind totally. of like, in his kind of like aggressively apolitical stance of like Mm. my films aren't political films my films are like about violence my films are about like humanity and like pathos and things like that and you you mentioned tarantino and like you compare zala to tarantino and i'm not sure if it's the climate the, the social climate or the filmmaking itself but there's certainly a lot more kind of cultural political undertones going on in zala's work than i ever noticed in Tarantino. yeah well i think because Tarantino's characters, they're all pop culture aware, aren't they? They're fun and the dialogue's poppy. The here, the dialogue is a bit more sort of muted and internalized and purely character-based rather than anything external. Yeah. But then with that comes an underlying, like you say, sort of... Well, there's, there's a thing people have picked up on in these three films, that they are perhaps veer to the right. And yeah. Zala said in every single interview, like, you're right, Stephen, he's, you know 
consistently said in countless interviews, no, I'm not a political filmmaker. I'm not a political filmmaker. And let's talk about hiring Mel Gibson because that's the one that's kind of pushed <laughs> right, this one over God. the edge. That's when we were like, okay, there's something going on here. When was the last time you saw Mel Gibson in a film? Like, uh... Oh, he was in a really good, actually, there's a revenge... Uh, film that he did a couple of years ago that was quite sort of tough that was called Edge of... No, but it's called Blood Sun or something okay. of that ilk. That might I might have the title wrong and I really should have Googled this stuff before I come on. What a professional, right? <laughs> but like the truth of the matter is that it was only like, it didn't really do a lot. It mm. didn't really do a lot in terms of money, but it was like a well-made... Gibson looks terrible in it, you know. Yeah. A Bloodfather, it might have been. God, I think I'm it like, is Bloodfather. Yeah, that's it. Bloodfather, Father. not Blood. But it's 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 shot good. somewhere in Bulgaria. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's really like you know a tough kind of, you know, uh, revengey western yeah. kind of vibe to it. You know, without yeah. being an actual western. Um, the thing is with Mel, like you know, we all love, or well, not all, but generally speaking, Lethal Weapon. You want to watch that. You want to watch that repeatedly. Mad Max. You want to watch that repeatedly. And then, and then, of course, he ruins it all by getting drunk and that awful anti-Semitic stuff that we all know him for as well. And that, yeah, you know, there's the age-old thing about separating the art from the artist. And I feel like it's a conversation where collectively in the film world, we're having more and more and more, you know, um, when stuff keeps coming out, obviously, mm. the Weinstein stuff and whatever. Uh, and, and the climate now is every week we feel like there's a new actor and a new director, something bad is going to come out about yeah. you know you we're all sort of hoping and i hope it's not my hero next week yeah. it's really bad you know but the thing with the, the thing is i agree with separating the artist from the artist but the, but zala doesn't do that here <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the thing yeah. like you can't He's, you can't do yeah. that if you're going to have a scene in which mel gibson like talks about how right. the media is ruining people's lives right. like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. You, the, those I, I i actually think Mel Gibson's really great in this film. Yeah. I think he's a great piece he's of casting. He's a really good actor, isn't he? He's a great actor. Yeah. And yeah. like Zala, as, as much as I hate to say it, because it does seem like a, a, a kind of element of like, I'm going to troll you by putting Mel Gibson in my film. Yeah. And you're yeah. going to like it. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. it's actually not. Like, it's he's so good in this and his presence on the yeah. screen is so like welcomed in a creepy way. Um, but yeah, and then he goes and inserts kind of like scenes which brush up against racism, scenes which brush up against kind of like political correctness or mm. anti-political correctness. And um, and yeah, this is a very violent kind of movie. Oh, it's savage. Isn't yeah, it? it's mm. a, that's, savage that's is so good, a great you know? word to use. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah, and it's but for, for a film that, again, is two and a half hours long. Yeah. Another long one. It, unlike Laura, this is very like narratively driven, this and this it's is, yeah. This is so well paced. This movie, I found, yeah. I really like. Remember when we, Sam, Steve, Stephen, and I saw it at LFF together, and it was a day where I'd seen I think five. That was my fifth film of wow. the day. Yeah, I had to convince you, didn't it I? Was, yeah, I was it, like, yeah. oh, I don't know if I could do this. Yeah. Anyway, I went. Um, I'm glad I did uh, because there was a Q and A with Zala afterwards. Yeah, uh, but the fifth film of the day, three hour, almost three hour long. I it didn't feel like it at all for yeah, me. I, yeah. I was totally engaged with the whole movie mm. all the way through. I'm engaged with him as a filmmaker. Yeah, we'll stop. yeah like yeah. I'm, I'm not not necessarily. I don't necessarily think. Wow, this guy's doing everything I love. No, because no, it makes me feel uncomfortable as a filmmaker. I'm sure he'd be really happy to hear that. Yeah, but yeah. not but not uncomfortable. <laughs> like I just I can't. I can't figure him out, and I can't sit here and say like this is this is what S. Craig Zala wants. Um, yeah. Yeah. But he, I'm certainly engaged with him as an artist. Yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever else people say about Zala's work, there's no, uh, you don't ever feel like, oh, this is a cookie cutter, 
oh look, we've seen this fifty thousand times before. Even though he's working within the generally working within the parameters of, of genre filmmaking, it's like you you feel like there's always going to be a surprise in the next couple of minutes, yeah, or even do. within the scene you're doing. You know, like the the, the scene where uh, is it Vince Vaughn eats a sandwich? Yeah. yeah so you this scene I mean? goes on for ages. <laughs> Ages, <laughs> and uh, we've got an interview with S. Craig Zala on the Curzon blog at the moment. If you want to check that out, and he says about this scene with the sandwich, and I convert it to the scene in Brawl in Cyberpunk '99 where Vince Vaughn dismantles the car. That's a great scene yeah. as well. It that just goes on forever, and you're like, this this scene doesn't have any reason to be in this film. It doesn't advance the plot at all. It doesn't do anything. And Zala said, these are the favorite scenes I like to write about. People know me for my violence, but I like these scenes where characters do things that. Immediately, you know so much more about that character from such a small action that takes so long. And the sandwich scene is like, okay, these guys have done this before. Yeah, This is the 50th time these guys have done this kind of thing together. Yeah, And immediately, okay, that's their rapport. But that's what's interesting about Zala is I heard him say like, oh, you know, you learn so much about Vince Vaughn's character in, in Brawl in Cell Block 99 because instead of like beating up his girlfriend, he beats up her car. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, that's still a terrible thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, a, and it's a shocking thing to do. Yeah. Like, that's not okay. Just because you're angry doesn't mean you could destroy someone's property. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. but then, I don't know. He, he seems to, I think Zala seems to make a lot of excuses for his mm. character. Oh, true, yeah. true. But, yeah. but you're right that, that he also has this masterful kind of hold over them in yeah. scenes in individual scenes where he'll he will make them eat a sandwich and yeah. it will be so engrossing but I love that like when filmmakers do this thing where oh we'll, we'll shoot a scene but we'll take it much much further than the natural or what is ordinary or whatever the two immediate examples that okay completely different filmmakers but like one would be the Stanley Kubrick thing in Clockwork Orange where you just got the droogs and they're in the car and the shot is held forever mm, and you're like wow yeah. this is insane yeah. and no other filmmaker at the time would go oh yeah I'll, I'll, I'll do that that's just something crazy to do and then you've got someone like Steve McQueen in um, uh, I think it's Hunger where they're just washing the um, the corridor I don't know if you guys have seen it but they're washing the corridor and it's literally someone washing a dirty slopped out prison corridor for like five minutes walking mm. down the end and it's in the end the meaning of it changes over the time it's not just a couple of seconds you're really like oh my god this is terrible this is absolutely terrible so I mean I'm not saying Zala's necessarily been influenced by those guys but actually no, it's just an interesting cinematic I think, trick I think Kubrick's a fairly apt comparison to be honest like in a, in a, I know a lot of filmmakers get compared to Kubrick and it's kind yeah, of a lazy yeah. comparison but uh, there's there's definitely an element of it there I think so let's talk then about what we want to see from Zala next so he's obviously he's doing what he wants with these three films are evidence of that and they're evidence that he can do what he wants like the scenes we've just been talking about most studios would say you absolutely cannot have this scene in the film you cannot have 10 minutes screen time devoted to characters eating a sandwich and then and then have that level of violence as well with I don't know who is back in this guy's movie. <laughs> we had this conversation after yeah, the screen, like who is giving this guy the room to work like this? But it's there, but what do you want to see him do next? Do you want him to stick with this kind of genre stuff? Do you want to see him move in a complete different direction? Where do you want to see his career go? Like I say, for me, I want to see him do a period costume drama, right? <laughs> because obviously, like, he is a huge fan of of just completely spinning the minds of the audience right he 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 loves messing with people with the viewers without a doubt and of course the people who are, are the, the Zala fans like us lot like a load of people out there are like yeah do it Craig do it we want to see some more we want to see some more like Take how can you have, yeah you do it so like really the the biggest the craziest thing he could do would be completely go in a different direction like I say have a go at a costume drama or have a go at a musical or just do something completely wild I mean he probably won't but that would be amazing to see do you know uh, I mean? yeah I think I, I can see 
him probably after his his most recent film that he's writing is the the Puppet Master. Film, <laughs> yeah, right? uh, yeah, which the comes out Reich. this week yeah, as well. Um, I can see him kind of delving back into horror personally, which okay. which I think he keeps brushing up on in yeah. all of his films. Yeah. Even like even this, there's some there horror elements. Yeah, sure. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I can see him kind of because he hasn't made a pure horror film. Yet. No, um, I'd uh, love to see him have a go at a slasher though. Right, I think that'd be great. Mm. Like a, do, two, a good know? two and a half yeah. hour like character driven <laughs> slasher. Yeah. Movie. I'm glad we've got a filmmaker like this, but I've, I'm seeing a lot of people kind of shut down conversations about his political correctness i don't think we should be shutting those conversations down no. we should be having them and i think zala is would probably say the same thing like it's, that's probably what he's trying to do with this film so uh whatever he does next i think it's probably going to be controversial and that is it for this week so lauro is in cinemas and on curzon home cinema along with the paolo sorrentino collection so we've got il divo the great beauty this must be the place and the consequence of love we've also got uh, still country starring andrew scott he of sherlock and fleabag fame those are in cinemas and on demand as well and dragged across concrete is out in cinemas today lou thank you very much for being on with us it's been a pleasure Stephen. thank you very much for thank your time. you kelly Thanks. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you have any thoughts on Laura or Dragged Across Concrete, you do email podcast at curzon.com for next week's show, or you can tweet us at Curzon Cinemas. If you like the show, you can subscribe, leave a review, or comment on iTunes, ACUS, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much. See you next week. Mm-hmm.